Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person. And I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring an offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the word as we look at it together. My name is Madison, and I'm out here asking people what they believe. Who is Jesus? I guess you would say the Lord. Subject of belief? Jesus is the Lord, my God, my Messiah. What comes to mind when I say the word Jesus? Savior. Service. God. Jesus is our Savior that died on the cross for our sins. Well, good morning and welcome to Big Valley Grace Community Church. How are you doing today? Awesome. Welcome to everyone who's here in the Worship Center. Thank you, my friend. Here on the Modesto campus, it's good to be together. And if you are here for the very first time, I want you to know we are very glad. We're very glad that you're here. I would love to meet you after our worship gathering. I will be in the Welcome Center in the lobby. If you came by yourself, if you came with others, bring everyone. I'd love to meet you all. If you're here and it's your first time, so thankful that you're here. If you're joining us right now live through our online campus, we're glad to have our online campus. We're glad to connect with you. And you can see me, but I'd love to see you. And I'd love to invite you to come in person and worship together with us really soon. We're thankful to have you with us right now. Well, we're going to be going through our Believe series, continuing in it. This is week four. And if you want to take your Bible, you can turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to look at a number of passages today, but a few of them will be from the Gospel of John in chapter 1, if you want to turn there. Before we get into our text and looking at the statement, I want to share about some resources that are available. Our entire ministry here at Big Valley Grace Community Church has been walking through this Believe series. Children, students, men, women, Celebrate Recovery, Prime Time, Life Groups, and we have a tremendous amount of resources we're putting up every week to go along with the series. You can go to bbg.org believe to find all those. Additionally, I would encourage you to utilize the journal. And we're in week four of the journal, page 87. If you haven't purchased one yet, you can go to the Nook, our on-campus bookstore, and you can purchase one of these. We had to order more. We sold out of all the first set we, we had printed. You can also download it, though, for free online. We want everybody to be able to have this resource. My family has read the introduction Sunday at lunch. My small group Sunday night has used the, the small group discussion questions Monday through Friday. We've had our kids read it at the dinner table, and we've just really enjoyed utilizing this journal. I want to encourage you to do the same. Utilize it on your own. Utilize it with others. Take advantage of the resource. 
Well, I want to share a little bit about my heart for this series, why we're going through this series as a church family. It's twofold. One, it's because we believe in Jesus and we also believe about Jesus. We believe in him, but we also believe about him. When, John, when Jesus in John 15 was talking to his disciples, he, he was teaching them things. And then he said this, these things that I've taught you, I've shared these things with you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. So we can expect as we look at what Jesus has taught, as we look at the scriptures together, that we're going to have the joy of Jesus in our lives. And not only that, but it's, we're going to be filled up. We're gonna be filled up with the joy of Jesus. But we also believe together as a local body of believers. In the scriptures, we see that Jesus Christ is named the head. He's named the head of the body, and we are all members of the body, each one a part of it. And it's kind of silly for us to think that we would divide ourselves from the head, divide ourselves from other members of the body. We wanna believe together as a local body of believers. We believe in Jesus, and we believe about Jesus, and we wanna believe together as a local body of believers, and it will increase our unity as a church family. In our Constitution, which is a guiding document for our church, in Article 10, there is the Statement of Faith. And it has this statement, we believe and accept the following statements as essentials for the unity and practice of the members of this church. In other words, these statements are bedrock for us. They're ground zero. They're our foundation. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, there's no other foundation that can be laid than the foundation that's already been laid and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our foundation. And as we look at these statements, we are wanting to have unity and practice as a local church on the foundation of Jesus. And it's essential for us. And so these statements are very, very core. And the third one, which is what we're gonna to come to today, it's the third statement in the statement of faith is about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Why? Why is he singled out? Why is Jesus singled out? Well, in Philippians 2.9, it says, therefore God the Father has highly exalted him, Jesus Christ the Son of God, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is exalted above all, and we want our lives to be pointed towards him. And so the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ is very important to us. And you'll see there's a number of verses listed. You won't be able to make them out. They're too small on the screen, but we're going to actually read through all of them. We're gonna look at all those verses, and those verses supply this statement about the person and work of Jesus Christ, and this is the statement, statement number three from our statement of faith. We believe that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh, born of a virgin, sinless, crucified for our sins, resurrected from the dead, ascended to heaven, and coming back again to establish his kingdom on earth. That is a jam-packed statement. That statement is full of truth. And I would encourage us in this way as we begin to look at it, that we would do so with humility. 
as we look at the person and work of Jesus Christ, as we unpack this statement, that we do so with humility and we would do so with a commitment to be lifelong learners of our Bible. That we would continue to read our Bibles and continue to learn about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So what I'm gonna do is I'm going to take this statement and I'm gonna chunk it into four sections. So I'll approach it this way. We believe in unity, four truths regarding the person and work of Jesus Christ. And each of the four truths we're gonna look at are a section of the statement. Recently, I was walking into my local neighborhood Mexican restaurant. And I would just say this, if, if I could have one meal um, every day, all day, for the rest of my life, it would be Mexican food. And I, I'm really hoping the Lord feels the same so that heaven is amazing. <laughs> And I'm walking into my local neighborhood Mexican restaurant. I have my Bible in hand. And as I'm walking in, I hear, I like to run my business according to Matthew 7:12. So I stop and I look, and there's a man sitting on the patio of the restaurant. And he starts a conversation with me in that way as he sees my Bible. I like to run my business, Matthew. 712. So what does Matthew 712 say? Well, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them. For this is the law and the prophets. So when God kicks a door wide open, I try to, you know, let's walk through it. So I begin to have a conversation with him and I'm hinting at things from one way to the next to try to find out where this guy's at. And then I ask the question and I call it the question. And this is the question. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord God? And he interrupts me right there and says, oh, I don't believe that Jesus is God. I said, okay, well, the Bible that you said that you like to run your business off of, it pretty clearly teaches that Jesus is God. And he said, well, I guess we don't see that point the same. And I said, well, I guess we don't believe in the same Jesus because the Jesus of the Bible, the Bible is really clear that Jesus is God. And he turns to the waitress and orders and our conversation was done. And I knew at that moment two things. One, I was talking to an unbeliever. And the second is, I was talking to someone who was a part of a cult because he had a version of Jesus and it was not the version of Jesus of the Bible. He had a version of Jesus that was a part of his life, but it was not the Jesus of the Bible. Years ago, I began using a resource called a ready defense. And I began using this with students many years ago. And it's a great resource. And it goes through 60 lines of conversation to talk with people who are a part of other religious cults. And you, this might be a resource you want to look at to say, how do you have a conversation with somebody when they're a part of a false religion? This week, Pastor Dawson, he took me up to the middle school room that's up now in the east wing upstairs, and he showed me the new room that they've made for middle schoolers. And he began to share with me how on Wednesday nights, they're teaching the middle school students how to have conversations with their friends at school who come from false religions, from cults. And I think that's great. So we get into truth number one about the person and work of Jesus Christ. There's one Jesus. 
there's one Jesus. And we believe that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. We believe that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, word in Greek is logos, and the word was with God, God in Greek is theon, and the word was God, and the word order in Greek is a little different, and I want to share that. The word order in Greek is kai, theos, hain, ha, logos, which means the word order is, and God was the word. In our English Bible, we have, and the word was God. But the reason I point that out, it's rather technical, I point it out because it actually protects us from cults. That statement right there, and God was the word, protects us from false teaching. Let me give you some examples. Early in the church, in the year 220, a cult arose called Sabellianism, and it was a form of modalism, and what this cult was proposing is that there was one God, but there was not three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God just kind of changed who he was in different moments. 30 years later, in the year 250, Arianism arose, and it was a cult that promoted that the Father created the Son, and thus the Son was not co-eternal with the Father. This statement right here, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, it protects us regarding the truth of who Jesus Christ is. If you want a modern example, you may want to go and check out a Mormon Bible. I believe what you'll find if you go to this verse in a Mormon Bible, it will say, and the Word was a God. They've added a word, and the word was a God. This passage protects us from a false Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then you go down to verse 14 in John chapter 1, and the word became. And the word became. The word became is againata. It means, you know, that he, he, he took on to himself. The father created a, a body for the son, and now the son is going to take on that body. He became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And that word dwelt among us is eskenosin, and it means to live, to take up residence, which I really dig, considering the vision statement for our church, love your actual neighbor, that Jesus came and took up residence. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said that in John chapter 14, verse 9. It is essential to our faith that we believe that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. That's truth number one. Truth number two is born of a virgin, sinless. Born of a virgin, sinless. It's always of great heartbreak to me when I see a Christian leader or a pastor come out publicly and say, I no longer believe the virgin birth is essential for our faith. It's always very concerning to me when I hear that, that they have now walked away from the importance of the virgin birth. Let me explain. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive, speaking of Mary, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, speaking of Jesus, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's enter into this argument of, was Mary actually a virgin? When the angel came to Mary and told Mary 
that she was going to be with child, Mary's response was, how can this be because I am a virgin? Like, I have not been with a man. How is it possible that I would have conceive a baby I've not been with a man? That's the question she asks the angel. And the angel responds then to say, well, it's because the Holy Spirit of God is going to come upon you and you're going to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. It was widely known that there wasn't an earthly father around for Jesus at his conception. And we know that in the response of the religious leaders because they told Jesus, we weren't born of sexual immorality. In other words, your mom slept around. That's what Jesus grew up with, with people talking about his mom. Your mom, she's sexually immoral. We weren't conceived in sexual immorality. Well, in the scriptures, it's really clear in Luke 1.35 that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and that she was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you why that is so incredibly important. If Jesus had an earthly father that he was conceived by an earthly father, then Jesus was conceived in sin, just like you and just like me, which means he was born into sin and he wasn't sinless. But if Jesus, which he was, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, then he was conceived without sin. And it is critical that we understand that Jesus was not Sinful. It is so critical for our faith to know that he wasn't sinful. Hebrews 4, 15 addresses this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. What does this mean? This means you may think Jesus can't relate. God can't relate to the things I've had to go through. Actually, he knows about the things you've gone through far greater than you do. How? Well, because when you're tempted, you give in. You're tempted and you give in. Jesus was tempted with the fullness of temptation in the fullness of all temptation that everyone has experienced. The one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he's without sin, which means you've never even made it to the place where Jesus was tempted because we gave in too soon. And every one of us has given in to temptation multiple times. And so Jesus has actually experienced more about temptation than even you have. The difference is he didn't give in to it. He's without sin. Truth number two, born of a virgin, sinless. We believe that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh, born of a virgin, sinless. Truth number three, crucified for our sins, resurrected from the dead. Crucified for our sins, resurrected from the dead. In John chapter one, verse 29, it says about John the Baptist, the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world who takes away my sin, who takes away your sin. 
The Bible teaches that he who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. And I want you to know, the list of things that I have known to be the right thing to do that I did not do, that list is very long. You might be able to relate to that. To him who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. I know my sin. If you take a moment to be honest with yourself, I'm sure you'll be able to know your sin also. But that's why there's such great news in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, God loved me, God loved you, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Why perish? Well, because my sin causes me to be separated from God, to be eternally damned. But I don't have to be eternally damned because God has provided a way for me to have salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that's the clear gospel, that we all have been created by God and that we all have fallen into sin and that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the Savior of the world and that we access that salvation by the grace of God through placing our faith in Jesus Christ in him alone for our salvation, trusting the work that Christ did on the cross, that it was good enough to take care of my sin, to take care of your sin, to take care of our sin. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he tells them, this is the most important stuff. He says, for so I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The passage goes on to give the proof of Jesus Christ who After he was resurrected from the dead, he appeared to Peter, then he appeared to the 12 disciples, then he appeared to more than 500 people at the same time, he appeared to his brother James, he appeared to all the apostles, and he appeared to Paul. And then we pick this same chapter back up in verse 12, and Paul now gives an argument for why it is so critical to our faith that there is the resurrection from the dead. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? You see the argument that he's making? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If there is no resurrection of Jesus Christ, then what we're doing here right now is pointless. Verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. Do you see the argument? And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If there is not the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, then we still are dead in our sin. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. What is he saying? He's saying that my loved ones who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who have already died, if Jesus Christ is not resurrected from the dead, then my loved ones who placed their faith in Jesus Christ and have now died, then they have perished. They don't have salvation. They've perished if there's no resurrection from the dead. Now, clearly this argument is for the fact that there is resurrection from the dead, that Christ was resurrected. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, 
We of all people are most to be pitied. In other words, if Christ wasn't resurrected, then we don't have hope of resurrection. And we can be like the people that Isaiah talked about in Isaiah chapter 22, 13, who just said, let us eat and let us drink for tomorrow we die. What does it matter? If there is no resurrection from the dead, if there is no eternal life, let's go eat and let's go drink because we're going to die. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is critical to our faith. It's critical to our hope in Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, 1 through 2, it says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, meaning the atoning sacrifice, for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world, and that includes me. And I want you to know, I am repenting of my sin, and I am trusting in Jesus Christ as my Lord God and my Savior from my sin. And I want my life to be about telling that story. Because when the story is told about how a life has been transformed by God, it is Super impactful. Just like last Thursday, our parking lot has never been more holy than when a bunch of dudes and a bunch of barbecues were out on our parking lot. And a man I grew up with stood before a bunch of men and shared his testimony about how his life was destroyed. His life was destroyed and God rescued him. God saved him from his sin and redeemed him out of the pit and restored his life. Every Tuesday night in this room, we have Celebrate Recovery. And every other Tuesday, there is a testimony where someone gets up right here and shares about how their life was destroyed. And God rescued them, saved them, and redeemed them. I had an opportunity to sit down with Lisa DeMont recently, and I interviewed her, and she shared with me about some moments in her life that were super dark and super hard, and how God met her in that moment and rescued her. You can watch that online on YouTube. Just search my name. My question for you is have you accepted God's grace through faith? Have you accepted God's grace through faith? And I want to do this. I want to take opportunity, before I do the last point right now, I want to take opportunity for us to sing together for two reasons. If you have not accepted God's grace, I believe the words of this song are going to speak to you in a great way. And today might be the day that God is calling you to accept his grace. But two, if you've already accepted the grace of God, you need to be reminded of it, and we need to respond to God in worship and thank him for how gracious he's been, that his grace is enough for us. So I want to invite you to stand and worship, and let's engage regarding the grace of God in this moment. Father God, Lord, would you use this moment to draw people to your grace? Lord, would you use this moment to encourage us in your grace? 
and would we respond appropriately to you right now because your grace is enough and we want to declare it that the grace of God is good enough. And so, Lord, may this be a very special time as we sing loudly, out loud, about how amazing your grace is. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. I wanna give you opportunity to respond to the grace of God right now. You may be here and you know that you need to repent of your sin. You're here and you know that you need to repent of your pride and your arrogance. And today's the day that you need to accept the forgiveness that God wants to give you by his grace. And if that is true of you, I wanna pray for you right now. Would you bow in prayer with me? Father God, Lord, for those who are here right now, and today's the day that they need to repent of their sin, God, I pray that you would give them the humility to do so right now. And if that describes you, I would encourage you right now to let God know, God, I'm repenting of my sin. God, I'm turning away from my sin. And God, I pray that in this moment, as there are people repenting of their sin, God, that you would place faith in their soul. You would give them the gift of faith in their soul that their dead soul might become alive right now. And if that describes you, I would encourage you right now to pray to God, God, help me have faith in Jesus. God, give me faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord God and Savior from sin. And Lord, I just want to say thank you that you draw us to yourself by your grace. We could never earn it. We don't deserve it. We could never work hard enough to get it. But you choose as a gift to give us your grace. And if you are placing your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time today, or you have been walking in the grace of God, I would encourage all of us right now to respond to God and to say to God, thank you for your grace. That we would respond right now, God, thank you. Thank you for your grace. And I would encourage you to tell God right now that you are thankful for his grace. Lord, we are in desperate need of you. And we are so grateful for you. And we love you. And thank you that you are at work right now in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, and I'm going to continue on with the last point. Truth number one was we believe that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Truth number two, born of a virgin, sinless. Truth number three, crucified for our sins, resurrected from the dead. And truth number four, ascended to heaven and coming back again to establish his kingdom on earth. 
And when we talk about the ascension, I want you to consider in this way that God the Father is saying to God the Son at the time of the ascension, welcome back to the throne room. Welcome back to the throne room, my son, who's been with me since before creation. Welcome back to the throne room. Great job. Well done. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 and 11, Jesus, when he had finished speaking and teaching, it says when he had said these things, as they, the disciples, were looking on, he, Jesus, was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. So Jesus is ascended to heaven, and now there's two angels there. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Well, I think the answer is obvious because they just saw Jesus go up into heaven I've never seen that happen, but I'm pretty for sure that if I was there, I'd be blank staring at the sky too. What's going to happen next? Well, these angels have more than just the question because now they teach this. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And in the same way they saw him ascend, he is coming back. And when I consider that Jesus is coming back, it, it causes me to ask this question. How am I going to live knowing that Jesus is coming back? What do I want to be found doing when Jesus returns what do I want my life to be about when Jesus comes back am I going to get serious about living for Jesus because I know he's coming back the gospel is serious business it's God's business and are we going to get serious about it that we might live like he's coming back. That we might live like we believe that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh, born of a virgin, sinless, crucified for our sins, resurrected from the dead, ascended to heaven, and coming back again to establish his kingdom on earth. Recently, I had the opportunity to interview Pastor Dan Webster. He has been a Christian leader for 50 years. He has trained thousands of Christian leaders. And he made this statement at the beginning of the interview. He said, I don't think Christian leaders start by saying, I want to be a great Christian leader. He says he doesn't think it happens that way. He says this is what he thinks happens, how people become great Christian leaders, is they get clear about the work God has asked them to do and they focus on doing it. Are you clear about the work that God has asked you to do? And are you focused on doing it? Are you clear about the work that God has asked you to do? And are you focused on doing it? We want to help you. We want to help you. We want to equip you. We want to walk with you for the work God's calling you to do. 
And at Big Valley Grace Community Church, really the starting point for that is with our core values, worship, that we would have total worship of God. Service, that we serve like a neighbor would serve a neighbor. Connect, that we'd connect with one another. We'd be in connected fellowship because of the unity we have in the blood of Jesus Christ and the fellowship we have by his spirit. That we would grow, that we would keep growing, that we would have continuous growth and that we would keep digging into our Bibles and keep learning about the Lord to know him more until the day we see him face to face. But that we would reach, and we would reach endlessly, each one reach one, disciples making disciples making disciples making disciples. And I want you to know, we want to walk with you. We want to walk with you. And a great way for you to let us know how we can take a next step with you is through that Connect card. They're located in the seat pocket in front of you, or you can fill it out online. If you're here today, and today is the day you're repenting of your sin, today's the day you're accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord God and Savior from your sin, on the back of that Connect card, there's an area where it says, my decision, and the very first box says, I'm placing my faith in Jesus Christ today. I would encourage you to check that box. Let us know. Maybe there's another decision you need to make. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to start serving. Maybe you need to get into a life group. Whatever it is, we want to help you take that next step. And the Connect Card is an incredible tool for us to bridge the gap between me talking and you hearing right now to where we can put it into action together. You can take those physical Connect cards, you can place them in the black boxes next to every exit on your way out. You can fill it out online. But we want to walk with you. I want to close in this way. I'd like to close with us standing and saying out loud statement number three about the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to do that with me, you can stand and say it out loud with me right now. We're gonna say this out loud together. It starts with we believe, here we go. We believe that Jesus Christ is God, manifest in the flesh, born of a virgin, sinless, crucified for our sins, resurrected from the dead, ascended to heaven, and coming back again to establish his kingdom on earth. I want to remind you about the goals for this series. They are twofold. One, to increase dialogue about these essential statements of our faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, talk about the truth together. Don't be afraid to talk about the truth. Let's learn and practice talking about the truth of our faith in Jesus Christ together. And as we do that, we can expect goal number two to happen, and that would be we would increase unity as a local body of believers in Jesus Christ who have our foundation in Jesus and his word. That we would be united as a local body of believers with Jesus Christ being the head of the body. Father God, Lord, thank you for the time that we've had together to come and to worship, to bring gifts, to serve you, to connect in fellowship to be in your word and to be moved by your spirit. And God, I pray for us as individuals and for us collectively as the body of Christ. Would we be who you want us to be? And we need your help. And so God, we're asking for your help. Would you help us to be who you want us to be?
And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.